Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Um, as it looks like we're maybe going towards another quarantine. Yeah, that's yeah. I've been seeing that uh, COVID is spiking, mm-hmm. and been noticing that restaurants are closing back down. And mm-hmm. um, we originally had some movies that were finally going to start coming out next month, and they've been pushed back to August. Mm. So, they're, not, they're not one of those that is going to premiere on Netflix or something? Not the ones that are, you know, these $200, $250 big tentpole movies. There's no way they can make their money back if they go to digital. Yeah. These movies are dead in the water until they can get into yeah. a theater. You know, it's, you know, movies like Mulan and Black Widow and Wonder Woman. It's like, you know, stuff like that. There's, they will... I didn't know they were doing a new Wonder Woman yeah, one, it was supposed to have come out at the beginning of this month. Well, for those of you listening, that's last month. <laughs> uh, it was supposed to come out like June 7th or something. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And yeah, because I mean, everything since March has been uh, put on hold. Wow. Cause Mulan, yeah, no, yeah. Because Mulan crazy. was supposed to come out at the end of March, and that didn't happen. Yeah. And it was supposed to be one of the first to return, and now that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens what, here. Yeah, what happens? This is, is like the weirdest time ever in history. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, it doesn't stop what we're doing, thank goodness. No. So, we are uh, continuing to push out content for you guys. Yep. And continuing to make cover songs which we've got a new cover song that goes along with this episode yes and we're one week away from an exclusive cover song on patreon so yes. if you're thinking of becoming a patron now's the time mm-hmm. to really really think about it so as well as early episodes should be on there by this point we should have at least one we Ooh, uh okay we uh also you probably have recognized, maybe. I don't know. I don't see into the future on when this is ready, but we recorded some new like intro music, some bumper music. <laughs> yeah. So um, we actually just recorded that today. So yeah. how soon we can integrate that into our episodes, I'm not quite sure. But yep. you know, maybe you heard it today. There will be an episode where I'll know for sure that you heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if it was on this episode, hopefully you liked it. And, yeah. Um, that was kind of one of the things we were waiting on in order to put episodes early on Patreon. So yeah. that's just that's just how um, things are with the media industry. You just don't know when things are going to come out when you guys didn't experience it. So um, yeah, yeah. So go check out <laughs> Patreon. We've got content on there now. Uh, definitely uh, next week we're going to have the new uh, exclusive cover songs. Yes. And so we recorded two new ones today. Mm-hmm. And. Um, yeah, so check us out there. Support the channel. It's going to allow us to continue to do more fun things and to continue to 
grow this and make this kind of our full-time gig with as many things as I want to do. It certainly would be full-time. Mm-hmm. And go check out our social media pages, Instagram, Facebook, and we've got a lot of cool stuff going on there. And um, whatever platform that you are listening this episode on, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. Let us know what artists you want us to cover. And, of course, as always, I am now checking. <laughs> yeah, you don't check beforehand? No, I just, I don't. I sometimes <laughs> think about it, but oh. I definitely don't ever think about it right before we record. Yeah. And uh, we don't have any new requests. Mm. So okay. get on there, let us know what you think, and who you want us to cover. And um, on that note, I think we can go ahead and move forward. I'm not forgetting anything, am I? Rate, comment, subscribe, social media, Patreon. YouTube. Link in the description for the Spotify playlist. Yep. Well, we always touch on that in the second segment, I know for sure. Well, just in case we forget. Yeah. Oh, also <laughs> on YouTube, whenever, uh, if you like the cover songs we're doing, make sure that you hit the subscribe button on that as well. And, leave and the us... little notification bell, too, uh-huh. so you can yes. find it easier. Like the video, uh, comment on it. It all helps with the algorithms to get us on people's newsfeed, which I actually found out that um, it popped up on someone's newsfeed that didn't know about us because wow. my mother was trying to show them the video. And uh, she said, oh, I, I saw that in my YouTube feed the other day and I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so hmm. your guys' support does help yes. and is already starting to make a difference. But... You know, we want to be able to just pop up on whoever's YouTube channel or YouTube feed and get into as many ears as we can. So uh, doing all those things helps out a lot. Um, As far as music news, I've got a a small little thing um, that's going on over in England. And uh, my favorite band of all time, Queen, is getting a new honorific by Mm -hmm. being the fourth ever musician or group of musicians, to be put on official British post- postage stamps. Okay, who were the first three? Uh, I Pink, have to ask. Pink Floyd, David Bowie, and Elton John, who we have all done wow. episodes on. And so Queen and... Wow. Uh, all four of them. Yeah, so the, the postage stamps look pretty cool. It's a collection of album covers and just cool shots of them live. Pink Floyd. Yeah. That's so weird to think about. Like David Bowie, Elton John, I understand. Queen, I also understand. But Pink Floyd, they're one of the biggest fans of all time. Right, but they're just... Hmm. And, you know, I've, we've, <laughs> t- we've talked about this in our Queen episode, how, like, over in England, they're pretty much like the biggest band of all time. Mm-hmm. I would say even more than the Beatles were. Mm-hmm. They've got the highest sales in the UK as far as number of albums they've sold, mm-hmm. more so than any other artist there. Well, I mean, they make good music. That's yeah. what it is. I mean, there's a reason they're the first episode of this podcast. That's right. Which you guys should go check out. So, very first episode. Yeah. We've come uh, a long way. It's, it is still <laughs> one of our most popular episodes, but, you know, we could always get some more lessons on, yeah. <laughs> on Queen. I would certainly appreciate it. I'm wearing a Queen shirt right now. Right. Well, there's a different reason for that. Yeah. But you guys will find out mm-hmm. soon in two weeks, right? Yep. So... We'll just, we'll just leave something, just, a little bit of yeah, a mystery there. Yeah. Maybe they'll catch on, given what I've told them in the previous episode. Um, All right, we can go ahead and yeah, let's start, to... start talking about our artists. Yeah, so this okay. is this is kind of 
like a bit of a different kind of volume two. Like it's not a volume two, but at the same time, like it's a continuation from an episode we've done before. So, um, we're doing this episode on Sting. Right. And if you guys don't know who Sting is, he is the singer and the bass player for The Police, which we have done an episode on. Yes. So definitely go check that out because we're not going to talk a lot about The Police in this episode. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of necessary in order to understand, you know, what Sting's solo career was like. So uh, we're talking about his solo career in this episode. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so we're just going to kind of be seeing what happened after the police broke up. So I will give a little bit of context on kind of where things ended with the police. Right. You've and listened to the police episode, I've listened, I'm assuming. It's, it's been a while, so a refresher would be good. <laughs> so the police broke up literally at the highest point of their career. So uh, syn- Let's talk years. So well. Synchronicity, the album, I almost said Synchronicity 2, that's the song. The album Synchronicity came out in 1983? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty sure about that. I can fact check that real quick. This is really sad. You said Sting was one of your favorite artists. Uh, I know, but and you don't even. <laughs> but I mean, uh, years are sometimes. I'm I know I'm always within a year. Yeah, it was 1983. Okay. Um. So that was literally the height of their career. Mm-hmm. You know, number one album. Mm-hmm. They got their first number one single with "Every Breath You Take" on that album. Right. Uh, they were literally the biggest band in the world. You know, in 1983, that was the year that Thriller came out also mm-hmm. and um, just completely destroyed the charts. But the police did have the number one selling song of that year with Every Breath You Take. Mm-hmm. And so while Michael Jackson was the biggest artist in the world and Prince was also coming up at about that point as well, um, po- the police were the biggest band in the world. And they had been just steadily rising you know, throughout. And because of that, they never had a bad album in their career. They kind of got to leave with a perfect track record. But the reason... Literally. Yeah. (laughs) The reason that they broke up was because just the tensions within the band just got so overwhelming that they couldn't even work together anymore. Particularly Sting and Stuart Copeland, who is the police's drummer, were so alpha male personality that they just could not figure out how to get along with each other. Like, to where they were literally beating each other up. Getting wow. in fist fights. Because they, like, you know, were done yelling at each other and they just, like, would tackle each other to the ground and just try and, you were, know... Were they, beat. like, personal arguments or were they, like, musical arguments? Both. Like, and I also, want to put a key change here, I don't, uh, let's kill each other? Yeah, and like, it just... Like, really? Well, it was oh just... My goodness. Yeah, and it would just it'd always get personal and... Sting was really trying to to wrest creative control because it was originally Stuart Copeland's band. He was the one that that started it and brought Sting and Andy Summers in. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, over time, Sting being the main songwriter really took control, and Stuart didn't like that. And you know, like because of that, Sting would like tr- critique how he was playing drums, and Stuart didn't like that. Just like you're not a drummer, you can't tell me how to play that that groove i'll decide if the drums you know sound the way that they do and um it was really interesting i watched the documentary of them doing their reunion tour about 15 years ago and they were talking about this whole they were just like we got to kind of learn how to be civil with each other and they would have those talks about you know when they're putting the show together and um 
you'd be like, normally, if Stewart had said that to me, that would have turned into one of our legendary fights. But older and wiser, you know, we're learning how to communicate differently. And so <laughs> we're not going to resort to that now. Um, but it just, it got to the point to where it was really becoming Sting's band. And so mm-hmm. Sting was just like, fine, you know, I'll go do my own thing where I don't have to worry about, you know, wanting to kill you all the time. Right. And they were like, fine, whatever. And so it was a shock to the world because no one saw it coming. And to everyone, there was no reason to break up. I feel like the Eagles. Yeah, but it would have been like if the Eagles broke up after Hotel California. I mean, to where it was their biggest. There wasn't a little bit of a drop. I mean, Long Run is still up there, but Hotel California is wildly considered the better album. Right. Um, You know... It would have been if, I'm trying to think of other bands, like if, you know, the Rolling Stones broke up after um, Let It Bleed, or the Beatles broke up after Sgt. Pepper, or... Um, neither, neither of these bands I know the history that much. Yeah, so... <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> or if Queen had broke up after Night at the Opera, to where it's just, you know, they worked so hard... And finally got that album that just put them in the top level. And then they're just, they're gone. So, because of that, Sting decided that he wanted to just go in a completely different direction from what the police were. So the police were like a new wave band with some punk elements thrown in there. And um, just a very artsy pop band. And so... On his first debut record, which was Dream of the Blue Turtles, he decided to just make this very bold artistic statement that his solo career was going to be completely different from what the police sounded. It wasn't, there weren't going to be any comparisons being drawn just going, oh, he's just making the police again just with different guys. Um, because his roots, the, what, the music that he grew up with, that he played before he joined the police was jazz. He was a jazz composer, musician at heart. And so he got a bunch of jazz guys around him, the best jazz guys in the world at that time. And there's a really cool documentary called Bring on the Night about him making that first album. And um, just him putting all the guys together. And he's like the one white guy with a band of black musicians. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny to kind of watch him you know, hang with them and, you know, not get what they're talking about. And there's like, there's a scene where they're, you know, kind of, he thinks that they're insulting him, but they're just like, no, man, your, your, your music's a mother effer, man. He's just like, what are you talking to? He's just like, no, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's that's funny. (laughs) Yeah. And so just in him, just kind of, you know, but at the same time, just, he was someone that like, and I've just really been finding that in England, like, racism was, like, not really near big of a thing as it's been in America's history. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been finding with a lot of different English bands that it's just, like, it's kind of absurd to them that racism is still a thing. Because mm-hmm. slavery was not really mm-hmm. ingrained in their culture the way it is in American culture. And so, you know, he was just wanting to like bring give black musicians more notoriety and credit by being on his album just like you know people need to be listening to this music more and not just have the pop charts be dominated by white guys Mm -hmm. and so he was you know 
he really loved that style of music and was really wanting to bring it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And Dream of Blue Turtles is such a complex, rich record. Mm-hmm. I have it on vinyl. It's a really great album. Mm-hmm. We only have one song represented, but we'll definitely do more in future okay. episodes. Okay, good. I wanted to kind of get a broad stroke of kind of everything that involves all the different eras of Sting's solo career. Mm-hmm. And it was a big hit. I mean, he was able to kind of crest that uh, wave, you know, following the police. He didn't have anything go number one or, you know, I think he had a number one record, but not any songs went number one in his solo career. But musically, it was still a step up. Like, he was still... Yeah, it definitely didn't feel like he lost something. Again, because he strove for something that was so different. And I think the, the sign of a great solo career is that it's completely different than the band that you're coming from. Because whenever someone goes solo and it just sounds like the band, then it kind of shows that they didn't need to make this solo album or series of albums. So, because a lot of, in my opinion, a okay. solo career should be an outlet for music you're not getting to express in your band because, mm-hmm. you know, your band has a particular sound. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be like you know, Motorhead, you know exactly what that Motorhead album is going to sound like. If Lemmy wanted to do a solo career, you know, for it, I, in my opinion, to be a... Or like, look look at Ozzy Osbourne. Mm-hmm. His solo career doesn't sound anything like Black Sabbath. It's it, fast, it's, it's, it's got a lot of pyrotechnic guitars. Pyrotechnic, and, uh, yeah. Like, it's, it's... It's not doom and gloom. No, it's kind of a bit more upbeat. It's, it's kind of more Children of the Grave, less War Pigs. Yes, but he, for lack of a better explanation, uh-huh. like he didn't he didn't go out and get a Tony Iommi clone. He got a completely different kind of guitar player, mm-hmm. and that helped him so much. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the reason why his solo career was so successful is because people didn't listen to him and go, "Oh, he's just doing Black Sabbath again." It's like, whoa! Like his voice actually fits for this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's something completely different. Yep. Um, so that, in my opinion, that's the mark of a great solo career is if you can do something. That's completely different, but still great. And Sting did that. He did. So would you also say that maybe he was the reason that the police got better? Because the police were getting better and better as oh, absolutely. he was wanting more it's and because more Sting is one of the greatest songwriters of all time. So he was personally responsible for the police getting better. I mean, he was, he was the main songwriter. You know, you look at the early records, and, you know musically you can tell that it's it's following that punk uh slash kind of reggae feel that Stuart Copeland really loved mm-hmm. um right that's what i mean and then you can just tell as time went on that sting was asserting more and more control right. and yeah it's because he's just you know when you've got one of the most genius pop songwriters of all time in your band and he's starting to have more creative control then yeah your music's going to start getting better and better okay Okay, that would, that would make sense. Um, and so then, of course, it it reached its fruition with his solo career, especially that first mm-hmm. album, right? Yes. So did did it keep getting better? Um, there are peaks and valleys. Okay. Um, I would say that the the following two albums are not as good as the first one, okay. which is Nothing Like the Sun and the Soul Cages. So does that take us through the eighties? Yes, Soul Cages. Uh, so Nothing Like the Sun came out in eighty seven. Then he took a pretty long break, and Soul Cages came out in, like, 90 or 91. Wow, okay. And then, uh, but then he, 
in my opinion, he upped himself with the next two records, even over his first one with Ten Sumner's Tale and Mercury Falling. And he's touring during this yes. time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well. Okay. Yeah, he's playing live. He's not just a studio guy. Okay. Um, but he does have kind of a revolving door of musicians. He doesn't have like kind of a set band. Although there are yeah, certain... typical solo career. There are certain guys that have stuck with him for long periods of time. Like Kenny Kirkland, his piano player, has mm-hmm. been with him since that first album. Wow. Um, but something particular of note is he's always had some of the greatest drummers in the world with him. Wow. I mean, Stuart Copeland was one of the greatest drummers of all time. Right. And so it's kind of like the bar was always set really high that he's, and especially he's a bass player. And mm-hmm. so he's part of the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And he still plays bass in his solo. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't know that. So he, um, now, well, on the first album, he actually played guitar, not bass. But in the albums after that, he took over the bass. And so, you know, as a bassist, you know, he wanted to have a great drummer to be able to lock in with. And so three in particular drummers that, you know, can definitely shake a leg with Stuart Copeland were first one, he had Omar Hakim who played mm-hmm. on that first record. Mm-hmm. Then he had uh, Manu Ketchi, who was Peter Gabriel's drummer. Yeah, yeah. He played with him on a couple records. And then in uh, for Ten Sumner's Tale, he's pretty much had him ever since, is Vinny Caliuta, who is like maybe in the top ten drummers to ever live. It's just the guy is a monster. Never heard that name. Monster. He's mo- it's because he's mostly known as a session drummer. He He's even played on a Megadeth record. He played on The System Has Failed. Oh, yeah. That's a good record. So, In my opinion. Maybe not to everybody else's opinion. But, um... So... Okay. But he's like... He's okay, a, he's a, process he's a jazz giant. Do we have any... Do we have any with Vinny on them? Any songs? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll, he, I'll make you point them out. He plays on uh, Ten Sumners, Mercury Falling, and on Brand New Day. Those okay. three records. That are represented in this list. And he's played with them on just about every record since then. Um, but he's just, he's always had just the best around him. Kind of like Peter Gabriel. Just kind of, kind you know, of. picking who are who are the best guys. And, you know, maybe I'll keep them around for the next album. Or mm-hmm. maybe I want to take the album in a different direction. And this guy here will be better suited for it. Or even Chuck. Or yeah. presumably Tobias Forge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't know for sure. Yeah. Well, we do know for sure some guys are getting rotated out, but... But we don't that, know how often that that's, happens. That's another discussion for another time, namely a past episode on Ghost, so check that out if you're interested. Um, okay, so, we talked about drummers, mm-hmm. and he's the bassist, but yes. not on the first album, so he had his... his... Now, except for the one song from the album that, that we are doing on this list. <laughs> Wow, okay. And I'll explain a little bit more about that later. Okay, but, so he had a session basis for the first album, mm-hmm. and then guitarist, did we have any famous guitarists? Not anyone just... that, like, you'd be like, oh my gosh, like, guitar was really never a, um, a forefront part of Sting's solo career. I mean, I didn't, I didn't figure it was. It's, but... it's, kind of in the same way that it never really was for Peter Gabriel. Right. Um, and I really kind of see a lot of similarity between these two artists. Mm-hmm. They're, they are smart pop writers. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's, it's actually fitting because 
I think like four or five years ago, they did a joint tour together. Wow. Not And not in the way to where one would go up and do this set and the other one would go up. They were both on stage at the same time playing du- each duetting each other's songs. That's cool. And my dad got to go see that. And that I'm show. really jealous because that would have been such a great show. Yeah, that would have been. But it makes show. sense because I, I see a lot because they pull influences from like different cultures, you know. They the they share kind of a lot of the same musicians. Um, they were really popular around the same time, um, and just you know they're pop artists, but they're not pop in the way that you would think of pop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very sophisticated, very artistic, especially with Sting. I was really doing some research into like chord structures that he uses in his songs and just really finding out that it's just like bonkers weird but that he somehow makes it work because Hmm. his melodies are so strong that they carry you through all of the chord changes that shouldn't make sense and there's one song in particular that he just like goes bananas with that we'll talk about and i want to see if you picked up on it okay um but yeah and so he I would say the 90s was his best period. When he did Ten Summoners, Mercury Falling, Brand New Day, those were three very um, critically acclaimed records. He won Grammys for Album of the Year, um, Pop Vocal of the Year on several different occasions. And after that point is kind of when he reached that old man level of just like he's not, you know, making music that's very relevantly um, good. But, you know, he stings, so it's always going to be a certain level of greatness. But, you know, kind of when an artist reaches a certain age, it's just kind of like their best works behind them, mm-hmm. despite how much, unless you're David Bowie, and then right. you just make good music as long as you're alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that, you know, the, the prime area of looking at his solo career would be 85 to 99, which mm-hmm. is when Brand New Day came out. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the window where all his best music was made, mm-hmm. solo-wise. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking at. Okay. So, is there anything else that you were wanting to know about? Um, he had the same piano player the whole time. Yeah. And he did all the synthesized sounds, too. Um, I mean, I think he might have had other guys come in and help with different things here and there and the and the and the different weird instruments that we hear like i think there's like a violin on one of the songs Mm -hmm. stuff like that those were just random guys that he was like hey you're good for this part okay yeah so he didn't he didn't just have a a big group of musicians following him around no not really he kind of just again there was there was a couple there's craigslisted it there's a couple of loyalists (laughs) that have that have stuck around like vinnie kelly is still with him and Kenny Kirkland, I believe, is still with him as Even well. Even though he's, he got back with the police. Oh, that only lasted for one tour. Okay. That was only one tour. They didn't make any new music. It okay. was just a It was a big reunion tour. It was a huge tour. Mm-hmm. That was like in 2006 or somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's been doing his own thing since then. Which is a shame, because I wish the police would have really so gotten is, back to him. This is just the first era of him. Yeah. We're not even doing one of them big, broad strokes things. I mean, we are in the sense of, you know, we're covering about probably a 15-year period. But, you know. But it's not the whole period since. I don't I don't think I'll do an episode of Past 99 just because the music is not as good. Okay. You know, when we come back to Sting, we're going to stay in that 15-year period. 
but there's just a lot of great stuff in there. There's a lot of songs I'm really sad to not include. It is the good music podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't put bad music in there. That's right. But okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. I'm already looking forward to the next Sting episode. So, um, I think it's time for a break. Actually. Okay. We'll go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, we're going to uh, really get into the songs. I think we'll have a lot to say in that area. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Sting and his solo career and his similarities to Peter Gabriel and all the different session musicians that he's had over the years. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we have selected for this episode. So, for people who are new, Lucas, could you explain what do we mean by six songs? I was so, like, theatrical. You were, like, waving your hands I around. I well, and... but, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> I, they can't see this, but I'm, you know, no, reaching towards the stars, towards yes. the future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what we mean in this section is we pick out six songs to just kind of, you know, do a deeper study on who Sting was as a composer, as a musician, and um, also just serving as a great first step for those of you that are unfamiliar with Sting's music. So if you've never listened to him or you've only listened to very little bit, these songs are going to give you your best first uh, step into getting into his music. So it's not just me picking the six best Sting songs or my six favorite ones. Um, they're selected in a way to be, you know, your page one. As well as I'm picking songs and sequencing them in a way to where they flow from start to finish. And that the songs transition well off each other. And that by the end, hopefully you have had a significant emotional experience by listening to them. So, the way that you can listen to these songs is, we mentioned a little bit earlier, um, <laughs> in the description for the episode, you will find a link to a Spotify playlist, and uh, from there you'll be able to listen to not only the songs on this episode, but all the songs from our other episodes. So, make sure you check that out, and we'll go ahead and get started with the first song, which is already a contender for one of my favorite Sting mm-hmm. songs. Mm-hmm. It was really close to mine, too. Um, and that song is If I Ever Lose My Faith in You. Mm-hmm. Very long title. Mm-hmm. Sting is known for that. Well, yeah, it sounds like a metalcore band or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> One of them long phrase things. Uh-huh, where it's instead of a name, it's a... F- I, I've never liked that. Yeah, no. I can... I always... Faith, faith in You sounds closer, but, you know, still. Um... Really, is this the song you were talking about? Had the weird chord no. chemistry? Okay, because but we, there is when we get there, there is I'm gonna there have is you explain some. that. But. Yeah, there is some here though. I kind of uh, watched a, I watched an analysis of just kind of what he's doing because there's a lot of key changes in this song. There's a lot of really, uh huh. I didn't notice, but they're any of so them. subtle. They're so subtle. It's uh-huh. like it's like Dream Theater with mm-hmm. time uh, time signature. Uh, yeah, changes. I've I've really discovered that Sting 
like is can change keys at will and you just don't even recognize what's happening and it's kind of ridiculous so um because i like i know there's one during the bridge mm -hmm. the verse to chorus is a key change he's using like the circle of fifths which is why it's so subtle uh -huh. because it's because it's an a but then the chorus is an e that's what it would be. Yeah, no, a lot of a lot of um, artists will do that. Like, for example, uh, Warrant does that all the time. They switch between A and E. Mm -hmm. um, so my hair metal ears are probably completely used to it. Yeah, yeah, and then also like the the intro is in a different key. Um, hmm. He the the last chorus is in B instead of E, but then it drops down to E. When this he does is... it, if I ever lose my faith in you, when he does it kind of in the lower octave. This is like some prog level pop. Mm -hmm. Progressive pop. Exactly. <laughs> Smart pop, which is what I love about him. Mm -hmm. But yet at the same time, the song is so simple. It's so straightforward. There's no weird time signatures. No one's playing anything super complex. And you can dance to it. Yeah. It's like it's dance music. And it's just yeah. beautiful. It's a beautiful song. Oh, it is. His voice is really good on this song. Mm -hmm. and, and we'll see that through the subsequent songs as well. Um, but I think this one, especially during the bridge, he shows off his range. And not only the fact that he has range, but the fact that when he can get to those high notes, he still sounds just as good as when he was singing in the lower register. Uh-huh. He's got one of the most incredible ranges And it's ever. pure. Yes. It's not like he's screeching it out, you know, mm -hmm. like Sebastian Bach or something, which there's music for that as well. But it still stays... stays really pure and that's yeah. something i wish i could do mm -hmm. let's let's take a little bit of this opportunity to talk about sting as a lyricist okay because he has gotten a lot of crap over the years of being one of the people have said that he's like one of the worst lyricists of all time and there's some some weird lyrics in some of the so i want to some of the songs here, so yeah. so i want to kind of talk about that for a little bit. okay um i think that he wrote the worst lyrics when he was with the police. But it's not because he's a bad lyricist. It's just because he's a bold, risky lyricist. Mm -hmm. He will intentionally do things that it's a, kind of a toss-up on whether the lyric's going to work. And he'll even admit later on when he's just like, yeah, let me tell you what I meant by that, but I now see after the fact that that was not the best choice. Mm -hmm. um, because... He is a brilliant lyricist, but he is just, again, he, he, he's really bold on just going, you know, I want to say it this way, and whether it works or not, we'll find out. But mm -hmm. I really want to say things this way, because mm -hmm. there are times when he writes lyrics and it's just like, this is brilliant. This is like the best way you could have written this. And then there's other times where you're just like, I uh, don't know if that quite worked, mm. but the music is really good. So, um, this is a song where I think that his, he almost kind of at times has just this very simple way of looking at lyrics mm. in a way that he writes in such a childlike way that it comes off as poetic. And in this one, this is one where it works really well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I would I will say that this song is connected with me lyrically in a way that it had never had in my life before. Mm-hmm. To where like I'm just like thank you Sting for writing the song this way because mm-hmm. I'm really like vibing with this now. Yeah, yeah. You could say I've lost my faith in lists a bunch of things that mm-hmm. a lot of people have. Yeah. So. And then just, you know, just talking about being at the end of your rope, just like I've lost my faith in everything else, you know. If I lose my faith in, in who knows what the you is. It's never specified if it's a woman or a, a mentor or, you know, a religious figure, a god, um, you know. So you could assume that, you know, and I think a lot of people assume that whenever he says the line about, you could say I lost my faith in the Holy Church, that he's saying he, like, lost faith in God, but I don't think that's what he's meaning by that he's just, just lost faith in in like organized people. organized religion yeah. which there, i would say that line is way more relevant now than it ever has been because there's a lot of people i've been seeing that are just like i believe in god but just i just don't like the church and mm-hmm. you know so that that is a way that you could construe the meaning is that he's talking maybe just strictly to god mm-hmm. himself and just saying you know i've lost my faith in everything that i see around me you're the only one that i've got faith in left Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it could be, you know, it's very easy to also see that this could be a relationship. Just, mm-hmm. you know, my faith is in my significant other. Um, but I like that it's ambiguous. That Did he, he ever talk about what it really is? No. And he's, um, he doesn't talk about it in the sense of what he was saying. I think it's meant to be a universal song. That it's just, you can put whatever you want to it. And I think mm. that, I really like it when things are have that universal power like that. Oh, yeah. Because you can literally apply it to any situation. I like it sometimes when, you know, if the song is intentionally made to be open-ended, that they don't explain it. Because then it can stay open-ended. Mm-hmm. Not in the way to where it's like a Hotel California or a Bohemian Rhapsody. Where it may not make any sense. Yeah, but when you know it's about... It's made for the listener to be like, you can put whatever you want into it and it'll mean something to you. I think that that's what this song is. Just looking at all the things that, you know, will let you down, you know, losing faith in the fact that um, science is going to solve everything or that war is going to fix everything Mm -hmm. or, you know, politicians and... Mm -hmm. You know, I like that there's that one line that doesn't really match with the others. They all seem like game show hosts to me. Oh, is it is it politicians or people on TV? Uh, you would say that I lost my faith in our politicians. Oh, yeah. But it, but it comes, that line comes right after the people on TV. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. So, yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I like that. Um, I but like that. all the playing is really just simple, understated, you know... Vinnie Caliuta is playing drums on this, but he's just like, he lays it back so well. The song just grooves. As soon as that drum beat comes in, the especially on the verse, and the bass starts to loom, doom, 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 and does those, mm-hmm. just kind of that pulsing rhythm, it's just like, it just feels so good. All of the all of the chords and just the, everything that's layered is just so pretty sounding, especially when it when it hits that chorus and everything just opens up. Mm-hmm. It just it feels so um, so magnificent sounding, mm-hmm. and yeah, I love the song. It, it is and the final chorus too when mm-hmm. he comes out of the bridge and goes back into it. Yeah, that I think is is the greatest moment of the song. 
from he, the the bridge where he says na, 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 whatever he's singing. Yeah, when he goes, let me say this first. If I ever lose. No, it's the um, it's the very first line of the bridge. I think he's, oh, he's really I good. I could be lost inside. Yeah, that's yeah that his, that that moment is really good. But yeah. I think it, it reaches its completion when it comes back to that chorus. For me, it's it's that moment when it switches in that last chorus from the B to the E. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the and it goes back up. Mm-hmm. Mm. It just and you there's even kind of the, it sounds like the chords are are shifting a little bit even though they're back in E to where there's just there's this tension building when he's getting higher and higher and then and then it goes right back down for the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this is off of Ten Summoners Tales and it's the song that does open that album. And it's the big monster hit from that album. He won a Grammy for that song, and it's just he should. It's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. I remember actually like listening to not only this song, but but this whole set while I was doing research late at night. Uh, one night, I think like a week ago, uh, and I was running a bunch of simulations for solar cells and whatever, and mm-hmm. it, it, it gets kind of boring, but. This music kind of made me enjoy the kind of menial labor of sitting in front of a computer hitting buttons. Yeah. Um, and I was really bopping my head. But it wasn't bopping my head like Dream Theater where it demanded my attention. Mm-hmm. Like if I wanted to give my attention to the music, I could enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't pull me in. Yeah. In a bad way. Mm-hmm. But when you do pay attention to it, you are rewarded. Right. Right. Because again, the it, the it, brilliancy yeah. comes in in the in the the harmonic structure, not in the right. the blatant like you know, switching time signatures yeah. and push and pull. Although and... he does get crazy with time signatures when he wants to. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the next song. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I could probably say that just about every one of these songs is a contender for my favorite. So this next one is as well, and that's oh, Englishman really? in New York. This I think this I think is another one of your weak second picks. Oh, I really think it is. That's so foolish. I just I, mm. I love this song. Lyrically, it's weird to me. It's too weird to me. Just that's my taste. It like other people may just love this song. I know you say mm-hmm. you like this song. Yeah, I'm um, also gonna shout out my friend Josh Sievertson for turning me onto this song. Right. And so he's he's like the biggest Sting fan because Police is his all time favorite band. Of mm-hmm. course he. Uh, was a big Sting fan as well. And so he actually was really helping me dig deep because I was surface-level Sting fan, and then he helped me kind of dig in and get mm-hmm. some of the deeper cuts. And this mm-hmm. was one of them. I mean, this wasn't a deep cut. This was on an album I never really listened to before. And this was a song the first time I heard it, I was just like, why have I not been listening to this mm-hmm. song this whole time? That hook of the, I'm an alien, I'm a legal alien, I'm an Englishman in New York. That's like one of my favorite sting hooks That's a, it's a It's a good hook, and I think it's ruined by that weird scent in the back going, doop, doop, you know? I've never noticed it before. Really? Because I'm always singing along to it, so. Oh, um, wow. That's, that's, that was the biggest thing that. And I love the lyrics just, in this song. It, it turned me from being like, oh, I can. Forgive the lyrics to this song is weird. <laughs> so let's talk about the lyrics then. Yeah, okay. So I'll have you talk about the lyrics because I know you know all of them. Yeah. Um, so this is not um, written about himself, although he certainly fits this 
mold because he is English. Mm-hmm. He's a British guy. He was living in New York at the time. And it's just about, you know, specifically about how it's just, it's two different worlds. You know, it's this very prim, proper, sophisticated life of being an Englishman, and then you're in New York, which is like, you know, very much like scrapper, you know, rough and tumble kind of city. And so just talking the culture shock and being feeling like you're alone in a city full of people because you're the one outsider. You're not like everyone else. Even though you look like everyone else, you may kind of talk like everyone else, you speak the same language, you are still an outsider. You're an alien. A legal alien. A legal alien. Um, not but to be confused was, with illegal alien. Yeah, which I thought it was at first, and I was just like, but that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then I listened to it closer, it's like, oh, he's saying legal alien. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But it was actually written about a friend of his who not only was an Englishman in New York, but was a gay Englishman in New York. And just okay. about how that just intensified... The um, culture shock. Well, the culture differences. Yeah, and just... You know, in the 80s, that's, you know, not near as um, open and welcoming as it is today. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, kind of writ- wrote the song about him, but then kind of realized after the fact, well, this applies to me too. I, I understand this. Mm-hmm. And just talking about, you know, he would say that his only solace of being in New York was he would go to specifically English-style pubs and watch soccer and or football, <laughs> as he calls it. Mm-hmm. And just kind of feel like for a brief little moment he's at home. That's nice. And so it's just it's about being a gentleman in a um, in a in a, in a commoner's world, yeah. and that's what he's talking about a lot in the song. He's saying that you know it's important to have manners. It's important to speak well, um, and you don't have to lower yourself in a world where it seems like everyone is less refined than you are. It's okay to stand out. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole song is about embracing the fact that you're different and mm-hmm. what it is, is people will be drawn to you because of that. Mm-hmm. If you, instead of you trying to hide and blend in with everyone else, mm-hmm. be yourself no matter what they say. Mm. Mm. Okay. And, so, and I, you know, he's just, just talking about just like, you know, Carry carry who you are with you. Carry the values that you have. Don't compromise for the world around you. You know, if you were raised to be a a gentleman, then be a gentleman even if you're not surrounded by other gentlemen. Mm-hmm. A gentleman will rock, walk but never run in a city that is always running. Mm-hmm. Um, confront your enemies but avoid them if you can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just... I I just I think that it's really well done, mm-hmm. and so, and then there's also some really interesting melodic things going on. Like when it goes to the bridge section, and it kind of turns into a bit of like classical, where you've got the harpsichord playing in the back, and you know the buns in the variety, yeah, society. Um, he said that he intentionally structured that part to have like classical melodic structure to it. He's said that that whole part is meant to be like walking down the street and it just you hear all the different blends that New York is. It's why you have that random section where there's that drum breakdown. It's just it's like it's meant to show the eclecticism and the oh. and the manicness of New York that it just it never settles on one thing. I thought he was just like, "Wow, this is a cool beat. I need somewhere to throw it and then throw it in this song." Which is what I always thought it was too. And then I 
I listened to him where I was just like, wait a second. No, he's showing what being in New York is like and showing that New York doesn't stay true to itself, but it pulls from everything around it. And then it's just, it zeroes in. Then later on, you know, the song doesn't stay in all of those things that he's hearing. He goes back to what is his, which is the groove that perpetuates the whole song. There's really a lot of deepness that I really appreciate in this song, on top of the fact that that hook okay. is just undeniable. Hearing it explained makes more sense. The do during the chorus... Which I still... I don't even know what that is. Have you not heard it? You've heard it. I guarantee you've heard it. Okay. Subconsciously, I'm sure I've heard it. Yeah, but... yeah. It just... That's what pushed it over the edge for me. Hmm. To, to going from... Weird song... Okay, kind of experimental yeah, bridge, interesting lyrics. Oh, and, and then I haven't even talked about the violin. The violin is so good, and it's such a violin. Cool... Yeah. Not the saxophone. Oh, wait, saxophone. Yeah, I was like, what in the world? Brain fart. Yes, the saxophone. Yeah, the saxophone is such a the nice saxophone touch. saxophone really redeems it. I can't remember what his name is, but he also played on the first album. He was a carryover. That, it's a very good saxophone part. Yes, it is. And it adds the kind of, like, gentleman aspect mm -hmm, it's so smooth but gentlemen in new york yep aspect, you know? because that's one of the jazz so, capitals is right, new york right um anyway i love this song and so okay i'm gonna be myself no matter what you say <laughs> okay well, that's fair that's fair but now we're gonna move on to what i think i is my favorite song Ooh, wow and you, you really did pick the one that has the weird time signature. Yes. And uh, this is the song that we did a cover of. Hung My Head. I Hung My Head. So be sure to go check out our YouTube channel mm -hmm. and, and listen to that. Um, I think the reason why this song is my favorite is because it's the one I've been listening to the longest. This was actually the first Sting song that I ever heard that my dad showed to me. Because my dad's a big Sting fan also. He's the one that got me into them and the police. Um, and to me, I just love the storytelling in this song. Like, just me being a lover of stories, I feel like that this story is told really well, and the emotion is there in it, and, um, and there's just a lot of little intricacies and details that, like, I constantly, like, am noticing new things with it. That I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I never caught that before. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Lyrically or, or musically or both? Both. Okay. So, the song is in 9-8. Yeah. 9-8's um, a lot easier when you count it as three sets of three. Yeah. But it doesn't but count the, like but that. Yeah, because the, the beat flips at the exact... Well, no, it doesn't flip in the middle. It flips like a quarter through and then in a way because it's it starts off with a boom bounce oomps guns oomps guns boom bah. so it's just like the beat constantly is is switching on on an eighth note rather than on a quarter note Whoa. to where the hi-hat is staying the same the whole time mm -hmm. but the beat will switch from being the upbeat to the downbeat and then back again just the way it's all created That's is like so some tool kind of yeah it's so <laughs> complex and of course Vinnie Caliuta is just you know slays right. this song mm -hmm. um recording the drums for this cover was at that yeah. time the most complex thing I'd ever done oh my god I think it still is 
I think it still is. I think as far even as... though we've done four covers since then, I think that was the hardest one. Yeah. As... We did it like five takes. Mm-hmm. We it, had to... Because it's just such a hard groove. Because at some point, I would always drop a beat, and I would play eight instead of nine. And I had the metronome going in my ear, and I, I would have had to, because I would have totally thought that I had nailed it, had uh-huh. I not had the metronome going, to have that 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 louder beat on the one, because mm-hmm. then I would hit it, and then the one would come right after. I was just like, oh, dang it, I thought I had it. Yeah. Because we would have had some trouble had we gone upstairs and then realized, oh, no, this Pre- isn't yeah, correct. Yeah, trying to record the bass over that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But... All of the musicians playing that in his band mm-hmm. have to understand 9-8, including him, while singing. Yes. That's not an easy feat. But whenever you're like singing along, it doesn't feel weird. The way he times everything out, it doesn't... You only notice it when you're paying attention to the rhythm. Yeah, and the guitar, the way the guitar is structured is... It actually makes sense. Yeah. You know? Um, because of just the way that all the notes are pretty much equally spaced, mm-hmm. and it's just the same sort of melody as it goes through the chords. Yeah. So, it it was it it's not too big of a deal, mm-hmm. but for the drums, like I could tell, like I I couldn't I couldn't follow you, and you were the one doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, but it's good... not it's not a drum centered song, really. I would no. say the drums kind of accentuate everything. Else. Yeah. Um, the lyrics are the most important part of the song. Right. It's so let's, let's, so let's talk about what this song is about. Um, so okay. It's, so it's a story. It's a story. And about a guy who borrows his brother's rifle and is just like, you know, fooling around, being irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And he sees this horseman that's just riding down the, down the meadow, the plain, and he is just like, you know, just... Practicing his aim. I drew my beat on him to practice my aim. Just, mm-hmm. you know. And he accidentally shoots and kills him. Mm-hmm. Well, and did he accidentally? We'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. I, no, he did. He absolutely okay. did. Um, and so he is just like, just runs. Just because he's just like, oh God, what did I just do? And his first instinct is just to get out of here. He, he throws away the rifle mm-hmm. into the stream. I think at some point his conscience actually catches up with him first because um, they find him just sitting there with his head in his hands. Mm-hmm. Just like, he's just like, I can't run from this anymore. I'm just like, I have to face what I did. Mm-hmm. And the, when he said, the sheriff asked me why I had to run, he said, that, then it came to me just what I had done. Like, he was already feeling bad, but then, you know, now the repercussions have come. He's He's been arrested. Reality sets in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that at that point, all the instruments kick in. Yeah. And, and I think also that... Happy sense. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's it's got a bit of a country flavor to it. I think really? with... Well, um, okay, with the acoustic guitars, for sure. Uh-huh, and just the way that synth, that's that... Like it's it's almost kind of like you could see that being like played on like a, a steel guitar, like a slide. Um, and it's no surprise that Johnny Cash did a very successful cover of this right before he died. And that actually has kind of become like the famous version of this song. Really? Mm-hmm. But he plays in four four. Oh, good. Woo. Wow. 
I think it's just him and the acoustic guitar, and, like, that's it. It almost, like, with that interlude, it almost sounds like it's, like, the opening sequence to, like, a prison comedy or something. Like, he gets arrested, and then there's that band, and they're, like, driving into town, put him in the, in his prison cell or See, whatever, I wouldn't say comedy. It opens the sitcom. It's, it's never sounded happy to me. It just sounds big. And there's kind of, to me, there's always been a bit of a mournfulness in the melody of it that the keyboard is playing. And uh, and so then the third verse goes into the, the courthouse scene where, um, you know, he's forced to confront the guy's family that he, you know, he killed the husband and the father. And there's a pretty funny mix-up of what you thought yeah. the lyrics no, were. I, I originally thought it was... I offered his children and riddled his wife. When, when he says, when I, when he says, I felt the power of death over life. I thought he was talking about like the devil. Like I offered the devil's children and riddled the devil's wife. And now I understand that it was orphaned his children and widowed his wife. And he's yeah. talking about the guy he killed. Yeah. He's just, he's talking about, he's just like, again, every single verse, he's realizing a new depth of what he's done. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, now he doesn't just feel sorry for himself and for the guy he killed. But now he's just like, it's even past that. I've affected his family. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what's going to happen to them? They right. they lost the person that's, you know, I'm assuming this takes place kind of like in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the ending, like people don't get executed by the gallows anymore. Yeah. So this almost makes it feel like maybe it's like in the, you know, the pioneer days or right. old west time. Maybe like so late eighteen hundreds, yeah. early nineties. So he, just, he killed the provider of the family, basically. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. And so in the way that he sings, I beg their forgiveness, I wish I was dead. I hold my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then but my favorite part is the final verse. He says early one morning again. Uh huh. Which is the opening line. and the same thing with time to kill. Although whenever we did the court the the cover, I decided to change it a little bit and say it was time to kill, time to kill. which is what I always sang because I kind of always mm. modified that lyric okay. a little bit. But I think it's cool that it's and now it's instead of with time to kill, it's time to kill. It's like, but he's also saying with time to kill, like mm-hmm. we now have time for the purpose of killing someone. Yes, yeah. it is time for the killing. Mm-hmm. And so once again, he's up on a hill, but instead of him killing someone, it is his turn to die. Mm-hmm. And then he hung his head. And, but I love the, and I just now noticed this detail Mm -hmm. that the instruments fade out here. And it's what gave me the idea on our cover to just have everything suspend. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I never noticed it before because I always just sing along. And this time I was listening. I was just like, wait a minute, the drum beats fading back to what it was at the beginning of the song where it's just kind of more of like the ambient sounding drums the bass is laying off, the guitars are laying off, when he says, and now in the distance, a trick of the brain, I see a lone rider crossing the plain. Mm-hmm. Has he come to fetch me to see what they've done? We'll ride together to kingdom come. Like, mm-hmm. that, like, I'm getting chills just talking, because that always <laughs> just, it's so, there's like, almost like this weird redemption to it. It's a man that's truly sorry for what he's done, and it's almost like the spirit of the man he's killed has come to tell him to, like, console him. Say, just like, it's okay, you didn't mean to. Yeah, you're going to die for it, but, 
you know. It's okay, he didn't mean to. But, this, but, it's, but it's like, you know, it's almost like a, it's someone that's going to guide him into the afterlife. Yeah. Almost to some place of of comfort. The way that he, and I just, I love the way he picked those words, and we'll ride together till kingdom come. Mm-hmm. It's just got this very dreamlike element to it. Like, it reminded me, uh, especially when I noticed the fact that the instruments fade out. Um, have you ever, did you ever have to, like, read that short story in, in school about um, Owl Creek? I may have, but the I incident at Owl Creek, I think, is what it's called. <laughs> it's 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 something that I've forgotten about, but when I but when I made the connection, my brain, I realized I want to go back and read it mm-hmm. because I remember um, reading it and it really affecting me mm-hmm. because it's like this. It's kind of the same scene. It's a gallows execution, and the the guy that's supposed to be executed gets away and he's just running and he um, like just sees all of these kind of, like, these surreal things around him. And just, you know, all this crazy stuff is happening. But it's, like, kind of peaceful and serene. And then all of a sudden, it cuts back sharp to him falling and actually being hung. It was just like a a before-death hallucination. Mm. And the way that right before the ending, he said, I prayed for God's mercy, for I'll soon be dead the instruments fade back in hard. And that's just that, I want to say that this was intentional, that he was evoking that, that feeling of that story, because it's a pretty Hmm. famous one. Hmm. And then finally, we get that line of, I hung my head, but now it's a completely different meaning. At first it's, I've been hung my head head in in shame. Now it's literally, I hung my head. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, lyrically this song, I think the only flub lyric is the shot rang out across the land. You know, that's kind of a cheap cliche crop in to me. Yeah. You know, for being such a famous lyricist uh-huh. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Not not that like, oh, that's a terrible lyric. No one should ever use it. But like, mm-hmm. Sting's such a good lyricist that I would think he would come up with something better. But lyrically, cool story. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like the song. I like the music. It's not my favorite one. I'm interested um, to see what your favorite's going to uh, be. Well, but, it's one of the next three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna take a guess on what I think it's okay. going to be. We'll see if I'm right. All right. Um, but yeah, this song just, this song gives me all the feels, especially just, again, that last verse just, like, puts it all together for mm-hmm. me to just create something that just, in in my imagination, in my emotions, it's just, mm-hmm. like, it all rings so it, It's clearly. almost like a miniature Octavarian. Kind of. In the fact that you have the kind of the same symbols from the very beginning, and you kind of put a different spin on the same lyrics, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but we'll go ahead and move on to the next song. Which is my favorite. Ah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Fortress Around Your Heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is off of the um, the first record, Dream mm-hmm. of the Blue Turtles. And this is actually the song that closes the album. Mm. But I figured this would kind of be a way to kind of build things up a little bit from the moroseness of the lyrics of I Hung My Head. Mm -hmm. But this song still kind of has a a sad topic. Mm -hmm. Just kind of, you know, this is the tale of a relationship that has gone very wrong. And uh, the writer, uh, the, the, the narrator of the song, 
realizing that, you know, he's the one that has jaded her. He's the one that built this fortress around her heart. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's, Sting has said that this song, um, the, what the inspiration of it was seeing pictures of these old uh, forts that just ruins from, you know, ancient... I keep saying ancient the wrong way. These olden time, like medieval style Spanish forts mm-hmm. that just, you know, had all of these, you know, that lived through some battles. Right. And he was just like, what a good metaphor for a relationship that's gone wrong. You mm. know, it's, you know, war has been done, but in the end, you know, it's a, it's hollow, it's abandoned. And he's realizing that, you know, I recognize the fields where I once played. Had to stop in my tracks for fear of walking on the mines I laid. Mm-hmm. Um, I built this fortress around your heart and circled you in trenches and barbed wire. Mm-hmm. But then the whole resolution is he's trying to r- r- right what he's wronged. Let me build the bridge. Let me set the battlements on fire. I always thought it was like... Uh... Like controlling, like build a fortress around your heart, like nobody else can. No, have you kind of no? So so let's so this actually brings up a a theme that runs through a lot of Sting's solo music, and it has to do as a reaction to his big hit with the police, "Every Breath You Take," Mm -hmm. which is a really dark, creepy song when you look at the lyrics. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've listened to that song before. Yeah. Yeah. It's every move you make, every breath you take, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Mm-hmm. You belong to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very possessive, dark song. It's a song that Sting didn't realize how messed up it was until after it became a hit. He kept hearing it and going, wait a minute, I wrote this and I didn't realize it was this dark? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. <laughs> and so he said that he spent a lot of his solo career writing songs specifically to make up for that it's why the first song on his first solo album is if you love somebody set them free mm-hmm. it was just he was trying to make a oh that's kind of sad actually though yeah because that like he almost defined a lot of his solo career by one song yeah but i mean we got some great music out of it i think that fortress yeah. around your heart is that he's he did make that was his original intention he built the fortress as a way of you know fortresses are meant to keep people in but then mm-hmm. he, you know, it was also a place of great battle. Mm-hmm. And now he's realizing way after the fact that, you know, he's at fault for all of that's gone wrong and he needs to make amends. Mm-hmm. So this is the song that contains some of the most complex chord structuring I've ever heard in a pop song. I'm, I honestly didn't notice any of it. Uh, someone, <laughs> I had heard someone describe, I want to see if I can pull up what it is because it's he was saying this the 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 modes that it keeps going between are so weird that the only way it could ever work is a strong melody and there's there's a really strong melody there's there's three different keys in the first verse alone what so there's two there's two key changes okay i'm gonna see if i can uh okay i'm trying i'm trying to play the track in my head and see if I can pick them out, but I can't... Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't know. But this is my favorite song because of the strong melody. Mm-hmm. So it's, I want to I say it's like starts off in like E-flat mixolydian, then it goes to like A-dorian, then like to 
F Mixolydian, and then it's another key change into the chorus where it gets to like more traditional, and it's, it's something really strange. B flat Dorian would make more sense. Hmm. I want to see if I can find what it is. Mm. And the thing is, is that under the whole thing is just one continuous looping bass line that what? just sits under the whole thing. Wow. That's pretty cool. So, so it would probably be B flat Dorian because B flat Dorian and E flat Mixolydian are really the same thing. Um, they're just you just focus on a different root note. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I just I want to see if I can find it because it's just because it was the video that I watched where he was explaining it and it was when I really was just like oh oh gosh mm -hmm. this is this is really the strangest chord groupings I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So I can't, I can't find, I'll have to look it up, <laughs> anyway. but it's, it gives it that, just that strange feeling, but it, it doesn't really feel strange to me. It feels like, listen, I don't know, it just feels you, like it floats. When you listen to the chords though, like I, I remember noticing before, just like there's the, when the chords change, I'm just like, wow, what a weird change. I would have never thought to write a song that goes where the ch chords change in that way. And then go, but what I didn't realize is that when it goes back, I thought it went back to the original key, but it actually goes a half step down from the original starting place. Mm. And I was just like, what? How do you think to do that? And But at the same time, again, just, it all flows somehow. Mm. And I just, it's a fascinating song to me. And And then, of course, just, Everyone just plays so well. I love all the horns. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I hear what you're saying now. The, the key so, change. So you've got that... Yeah, I, I can hear it now. I thought that was just... I thought that was just like they changed chords in the... I thought that was just a chord progression. That's nope. a key change. That's a key change. Hmm. Weird. Anyway, yeah, you were talking about horns. Yeah, there's horns during the chorus, I know. Mm -hmm. That kind of... Fill in the gaps between the vocals. And yeah, and also whenever they would kind of do the little reprieve after, you know, let me set the battlements on fire, and kind of go to a little back to the verse groove before the verse starts. They'll, they'll kind of play some little flourishes. and um, Yeah, just this. And this is the song that Sting plays on bass because he originally demoed the bass line to show to the guy he was having, and then he was just like, uh, actually, I kind of just like how this sounds, so he just kept the demo bass line. Wow. Okay. Hey, so, I mean, you know, if it ain't broke. Mm-hmm. If it ain't broke. Yeah, so this song just really, I think, highlights just how creative and just what a master of melody Sting Yeah. Is. No, th this one, like, I instantly wanted to learn the words. As soon as I heard the song, I wanted to learn the words so I could sing along to it. Yeah. The way that he jumps between certain notes are, is so strange, but it's at the same time, it's like the way that it works, that he connects everything. Um, mm. From what I had heard, that he like writes melodies that are specifically like to make sense of all of the discordant chords he's using. That's the way he comes up with his melodies. I mean, that's 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 the way to do it. He gives you a a a it. pathway to navigating through them. It's the way to do it. I just, mean, a lot of artists will go backwards. It takes a brilliant, melodic mind to be able to navigate through 
some of the stuff he does. Mm-hmm. They were the the video I was watching also brought broke down some of the songs from the police that I didn't realize were that complex. And I was just like, oh, 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 <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there was a period of time after I first started listening to these songs that like the only song I would want to listen to was this one. It just, it got stuck in my head. The same thing happened with Surrender. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing happened with um, Spirit Carries On. Yeah. You know? If we had if we'd have done two cover songs by this point, we would have definitely covered this one. Because this would have been my probably my second pick anyway. This, this was my first pick. But Hung My Head is just, it was just easier to pull off is what I thought. But obviously, it was still pretty difficult. The drums still would have been really difficult on this song because it's Omar Hakim, and he's just—he's got so much feel. This is this is the this is his first album, right? The I I want to say it's the only album he plays on, but it's Sting's first album, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's the closing song in his first album. Closing song. So I guess we can go ahead and move on to the next one, which is Fields of Gold. Fields of Gold. Really simple, but really beautiful song. And we're once again back to the kind of hung my head feel. Yes. Yeah, so Although this is, not as much storytelling, I assume? Uh, there's actually more storytelling than you think there is. Okay. When I looked into this song and kind of analyzed what was happening, I actually realized that there's a lot more to this song than meets the eye. Okay, let's talk about that first. Um, so this is off else. of Ten Summoner's Tale. Mm-hmm. So the same album that uh, If I Ever Lose My Faith is on. Mm-hmm. And this is another, like, kind of iconic Sting song that they he named his Greatest Hits compilation after this song. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the highest charting singles from his solo career. So this is a pretty well-known song. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul McCartney said that he wished he would have written this song. Wow. So that's high praise. That is. Um, and I can see a little bit of Paul McCartney influence in the way that this is structured. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, kind of having similar motifs to return back to his very McCartney thing to do. Um, but this song does have a, a narrative um, flow to it. It's a story about finding love, um, securing love, and then l- later down the line losing that love. But having fond memories of it. But I, it's not... I don't think it's in the sense of, like, a breakup, but rather, like, a death. Hmm. And this was a song also just being in a new stage of life. This is a song that impacted me a lot more than it did when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I used to just think this was just your ordinary ballad. But Mm -hmm. now, kind of going through the life, finding my true love and... Having children, it's just like this song is just taking on a whole other meaning. It captures so well that moment when you realize you truly love a person and like nothing else in the whole world matters, mm-hmm. you know. And to just create this this romantic setting of this, you know, this wheat field that the mm-hmm. sun is hitting it just right to where it's, you know. I always imagine that this song just takes place like at sunset, when that when it's just it's that perfect orange golden, uh, and you don't have to put sunscreen on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, just you know, kind of like that that dusk mm-hmm. atmosphere. Yeah, and um, 
and just you know there's yeah. no one there's no one around you it's just you two kind of the middle of nowhere mm-hmm which Sting said the inspiration for it was that he had that weed field outside of his new house and he just would look at it as the sun went down and it was just like this is so beautiful mm-hmm. and then that's what gave him the inspiration to write the song um but this like he makes at the middle of just saying I never make promises like lightly and I know there's some that I've broken just oh. it's just that's the moment but it's almost like you could say that's the moment he's lightly I thought it was like this mm mm Mm. Um, just you know, it's it's the walls of a man uh, being broken down. Just you know, like someone that doesn't love easily has now found the love that he's going to have forever. So the promise being, will you stay with me? Will you be my love? You know, almost like a marriage proposal. Mm-hmm. And then the very last verse of many years have passed since those summer days. It's like you know, when you've had the, that experience, when you look back on it it truly kind of becomes the greatest time of your life mm-hmm. because there's so much um, excitement. There's so much joy. There's just this feeling of just like literally nothing bad can happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and but, the, but the whole connotation at the end is um, that the narrator has actually passed away and is like, it's almost like the spirit is speaking to... Um, his love saying just like, you know, don't ever forget that time that we had. Hmm, I didn't notice that at all. Um, you, you, you can tell the sun in his jealous sky that we walked in fields of gold. Oh. It's past tense. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I noticed that, but, mm -hmm. huh. Okay. It's just, it's, you know... It's in some way they're they're no longer together, and but it just it doesn't it feels like it's not because of a breakup that it just it feels like you know that death has taken one of them, mm. and they're you know they're looking back over that field so many years ago and just remembering that one moment in time when everything was perfect, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. I don't know why, but. I feel like that's a theme of Breaking Bad. <laughs> uh, um, you know what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to spoil it for any listeners. Yeah. But that, that's what made I me remember. It was the perfect, was a perfect moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, no but it does. It. it does exude that feeling musically for mm-hmm. sure with the violin or fiddle or something. It, it, I don't want to offend anybody, but um, they might be the same thing. I guess it's, it. It kind of has this. Uh, this Scottish flavor to it. It's almost like it's a, an actually good sounding bagpipe or something. Ooh, wow. What do you mean actually good sounding? Because that's one of the most demonic instruments ever created. You can make the bagpipe sound good. Yeah, but it's all really hard but to do. But it's a bagpipe style melody. And I think where that stems from is because of the bagpipes will play a root note. Yeah. And they but won't change the I know, that's so what I'm saying. It's, it's something in that family because it's... That's the, that's kind of the sound it's making, but yeah, it doesn't have that. I, I don't think it's anything in the family. I think it's a violin, and the fact that the entire melody is played over a single chord mm-hmm. makes it seem like that. Hmm. That's that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, so, you could be right. So because that's that's a distinctive thing about bagpipes, and I, I've I've never played bagpipes, but I've listened to them. Mm-hmm. Is that you don't really ever change keys. 
Yeah, no. This song doesn't... I mean, it's Sting. Does it change keys? No. Yeah, okay. This, I didn't think it would change he, keys. He said that he intentionally, for the song, wanted to write something that was simple. Oh, it was really simple. But good. Mm-hmm. And the, instru- the instrumentation was enough. Yes. It was certainly less than something like, you know, Fortress Around Your Heart, or um, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You, or something. Yeah, which I think is a good part of the set to put something simple up. We've, we've had these mind-bending musical passages, mm-hmm. especially something Fortress Around Your Heart. We take maybe the most complex song you ever wrote and then follow it up with his most simple song. Mm-hmm. Just but, a nice palate cleanser, almost. Yes, and then that, it sets us up for the finale. The finale, which is? Brand New Day. Brand New Day. A song, this is a good ender. This is a good ender. This was, I think, the perfect... Perfect one you could have picked for Sing. Now, obviously, I don't know very much Sing songs, mm-hmm. but it was A, a good song, and B, it sounds like the closer. Yeah, and it, it was. It was the closer for his so brand new So it's the closer for the album. Mm-hmm. Is Does he close his shows with this? I don't know. Uh, this is a song that doesn't really get as much attention as it deserves. But okay. I think that this is a song that more people should listen to because it wasn't a big single for him. Mm-hmm. I think it was like an okay single, but mm-hmm. there was a there was another song on the album that like far eclipsed it in popularity. Which was Desert Rose. Oh, I know that song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those songs. It was like his last really big hit mm-hmm. that like everyone knows because mm-hmm. it was all over the radio at the mm-hmm. end of the nineties. I think uh, Eric Johnson actually covered that. Really? That'd be an interesting cover to hear. Yeah, well, it was at um, uh, uh, Austin City Limits, hmm. I think. Yeah, it's so a good song, but Atlanta. I think I think Brand New Day is better. <laughs> uh, it's got a very famous guest musician playing the harmonica. Okay. Stevie Wonder. Wow. <laughs> wow. You can pick out his his harmonica playing anywhere. He has a style of harmonica playing that's just, like, so uniquely his. Which we have a Stevie Wonder episode. Go check it out if you haven't listened to it before. Stevie Wonder never struck me as a harmonica player. Oh, yeah. I always knew him as as harpsichord. Well, that's what he got started at, Stevie Wonder. Whenever he was little Stevie Wonder and was, like, a nine-year-old sensation, that's what he would do is he would sing and play harmonica. And then you know, use it a bit more sparingly as he got older. But one of his huge songs, Isn't She Lovely? Like, three-fourths of that six-minute song is like a giant harmonica solo. It is! Oh my goodness, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. So, so yeah, he he lends... And that's like one of the best parts of the song is all his harmonica bits. Right. When that when it comes in in the intro and then the big solo and the towards the end of the song, it's just it's the it's the most the harmonica has the ability to be one of the most annoying instruments, except for in the hands of someone like Stevie Wonder, where it becomes one of the most joyous yeah. and uplifting sounding or instruments. Or Ozzy. Yeah, it's the only instrument he can play. So um yeah, no, you're right. It it almost follows the vocal melody. Mm-hmm. Very rarely deviates. Kind of like a like a really simple like pop rock guitar solo. Yeah. But the fact that he kind of switches up some rhythms here and like a little bit of melody added here, and also just the fact that it's a different instrument with a different timbre. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. vocal cords are an instrument. Yeah. Um, 
it, it adds the special sauce that's required for a solo. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a lean line. So, yeah, yeah no. You're right. The harmonica, and it adds to kind of the upliftingness of the song. Because mm-hmm. the harmonica Because the song's all about new beginnings. It's all about new beginnings. Brand new day. Brand new day. No and, matter what happened yeah. before, it's a new day. Anything can happen. Yep. And it's it's fitting that this is an ender and not a beginning song because it's kind of like turn the clock all the way back or whatever. Mm-hmm. And start turn the clock brand, to zero. Yeah. And start brand new. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you're listening to the, the songs on the whole podcast playlist, it's turning back, let's get to the next artist. You know, anything yeah. can happen. Mm-hmm. So I think, it was, I think it was a good ender for that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just the song's just about, you know, giving love another chance. How many of you people out there have been hurt in some kind of love? Yes, affair? How that's many true. times did you swear that you will never love again? Well, it's a new day. A new it doesn't day. mean that you should stop loving. Get back out there because love is worth living for. It could happen to you, just like it happened to me. And and I, and you know, he does say that you know you may get out there and fall flat again because except there's no immunity, there's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. But it's still worth it to go out and try again because it's worth finding the one that's going to last. Hmm. So okay. yeah, the song is just fun. It's. And then it's just, yeah, it's got that, it's got that cool little ambient outro to just kind of, you know, let things sit. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's a great way to end things. Yeah. So. It's a good ender. There's not much musically that I noticed other than the fact that it still kind of takes the hung my head, uh, fields of gold style of like the country s- style almost mm-hmm. and spins it in a different way. Yeah. So. I can see that. Kind of almost bluegrass, mm-hmm. but without being purely I don't know, bluegrass. I don't know maybe about bluegrass. Not purely. Okay, whatever. Maybe I, maybe I don't understand bluegrass fully. Maybe not. Maybe not. We'll we'll get to that in history of music. I guess. <laughs> um, all right, so that's our set. Yep. So we'll take another break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the bonus song for this set, and uh, then give our final thoughts. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Sting. We talked about the six songs that we picked for this episode. Just to recap, those songs were If I Ever Lose My Faith in You, Englishman in New York, I Hung My Head, Fortress Around Your Heart, Fields of Gold, and Brand New Day. But now it is time to talk about the bonus song for this episode. So, Grant, for those of them that are tuning in for the first time, what is bonus song? Bonus song is from... An artist who, for whatever reason, we're not going to give them their own episode. Maybe they just don't have a large catalog, or for whatever reason. But we still want to talk about their music. So it's just kind of a way to be able to get them on the episode without having to spend a whole episode on them. And usually it's an artist who is related to the main artist. So there's a little bit of tie-in there. And our bonus song for this episode is The Promise by... Arcadia. So, so I need I need to know the relation first. Yeah, so I had a really hard time trying to find a good bonus song for Sting. Okay. Um, and I actually had never heard of this group. But I was just like, oh, Sting sings on this song. Mm-hmm. Background vocals. I was just like, all right, let me give it a listen. And I listened and I was just like, oh, wow. 
this song is really good. Okay, let's do this one. Mm-hmm. And then I did the research for it afterward. Mm-hmm. And I found out mm-hmm. that this band only made one album, mm-hmm. but they were the side project of Duran Duran. Ooh. Which I love Duran Duran. And mm-hmm. after I heard it, I was just like, oh, I totally hear it in the vocals now. That it mm-hmm. was just it was just something they did in between albums when they were like in the middle of their biggest part of their career. Hmm. So But it's all the members of not all of them. No. It's uh, Simon LeBond, who's the singer, uh, Roger Taylor, who's the drummer, mm-hmm. and I can't remember their keyboardist's name, but he's in it as well. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have their bass player hmm. or their guitar player. But he didn't play bass. No. Sting sings back vocals just, on a lot of stuff, doesn't he? Yeah. Or he did for a Dire Straits song. Yeah, he? He, that's the big one, is he does um, Money for Nothing. He Money does the, nothing. I want my MTV. Yeah. Which, I actually didn't know that for a while. And then when I found that out, I was just like, oh, how did I not hear that? Mm-hmm. Um, but they also have a very famous guitar player playing on this song. And okay. it was funny because I was listening to the song, I was just like, man, this really sounds like David Gilmore style playing. And it's freaking David Gilmore oh, playing! And I was just like, oh, this song keeps getting better! Oh, wow. Okay. So, interesting. Yeah. So this That's is a star-studded song. You've got the guys from Duran Duran, Sting, and David Gilmore all just playing this seven-minute track. Yeah, it is seven minutes. Like it didn't. It was. It was another one of those that didn't feel like seven minutes. Uh, no, it didn't feel. Like, but no, I it was remember probably because it has that long interlude. But but I remember there. like looking at it, I was just like, oh, because because this was kind of a hit single for me. It was like it hit the top forty. And I remember thinking, I was just like, this sounds longer than a normal pop song. And then I looked, I was just like, oh, oh, wow, this is seven minutes long. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wasn't thinking, I was just like, man, this is too long. I just remember thinking, like, this is longer than I think a pop song normally is. So I'm curious to know the meaning of the song. I Say don't... in heaven, hide your eyes or something? Like, I actually don't know. Oh, no, something's bad happening. Okay. Well, I there you go. I don't know. For those of you who want to know the meaning of the song... Don't listen to this episode. Actually, do listen to this episode, but whatever. Huh. Okay, that's one of the few questions I've had this episode. Oh, Oh, I'm so sorry. All right, but uh, no, that's fine. It's still a good song. Yes. And I like like the hook. Um, You know, Heaven Hide Your Eyes is really Mm -hmm. high falsetto. It's almost kind of... Sting style. Yeah, and then you and then you hear him kind of do the response in the background, and, and that's when you're just like, "Oh yeah, there's Sting." Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. I was just couldn't believe that I didn't pick up that it was Simon LeBond singing because mm-hmm. he has such a recognizable voice. And but then once I knew, I was just like, "Golly, I'm stupid." Mm-hmm. My favorite part of the song actually was the bass playing. So and I yeah, and, and it made me originally think that maybe. Uh, Duran Duran's bass player was in the group too because that was one of my favorite things about Duran Duran is their bassist is just really good. Um, Duran Duran is on my short list of bands that I want to do an episode on. Like, Mm -hmm. I've actually been thinking about them a lot recently. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny that this happened. Hmm. Um, Particularly because I'm looking forward to playing some of those bass lines for our cover song, whatever one we do. Whatever two. Whatever two, exactly. So, um, but I remember thinking, oh man, this, this sounds like great Duran Duran. And then I found out it was a guy named Mark Egan. Mm. And 
I was just like, was in... I looked up and I was just like, I didn't recognize anything he was in, but it was <laughs> really good bass playing. I didn't know if you had caught that. Yeah, no, I did. That that especially actually, during the verses, there's actually, some bass. It's actually fretless bass, which was even cooler. Ooh, yeah. See, I didn't notice that either. Um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But they just, yeah, they did one album, and then they're just like, okay, we'll just keep doing Duran Duran stuff, and that was it. It, it. The song itself kind of evokes an atmosphere very different than, like, what Fields of Gold does. Like, Fields of Gold uh-huh. evokes the atmosphere of Fields of Gold. Mm-hmm. But this one kind of makes, it almost feels like, have you ever watched uh, the Electric Blue music video by Ice House? No. Okay, it's kind of like, it's it's like deep night like in the city you know mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not like aggressive or like an adversarial like it's the city at night like there's only you know trouble out after midnight kind of mm-hmm. music video it's just yeah. like everything's nice and peaceful mm-hmm. but it's the bleak of night yeah it kind yeah, of feels, yeah, it kind of feels can, like that i can i can feel that you know um which i thought was very interesting mm-hmm. and especially the way that he sings too during the verses, especially. Yeah. Also evoke that feeling. So, yeah. Well, this yeah. this I was really nervous about trying to find a bonus song, mm-hmm. and the fact that I found such a good one on accident is just like I want to listen to the rest of that album. Hmm. Okay. Kind of see what it's what it's all about, especially now again now that I know that it's so star studded. Mm-hmm. That I'm just like, okay, let's um, let's dig a little deeper into this. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, all right, so that's our bonus song, and let's go ahead and get into final thoughts. I'm very curious to hear yours. Okay. So, did you know really about the police before listening to these Sting songs? Like, what's, I mean, other I, than what was in the episode? Okay. So not you, very much. Um, so you didn't really have a lot of preconception about Sting before hearing these songs? Not really. Not really. Um, but I enjoyed them, all of them, except for, like... Englishman in New York I didn't enjoy quite as much. Which I'm still heartbroken I, I, I about. Just, it, comparatively, it just wasn't as good. I, I don't really like the song in particular, but that's my taste. That's that's okay, you know. You may maybe, return to it. Maybe the people listening really like that song. That's okay. Um, I, I'm glad you found that song. Um, but the rest of the songs, especially um, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You and Fortress Around Your Heart, I think are going to be like permanent additions to like my old pop playlist, you know, yeah. along with all that Steely Dan. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. I really enjoyed those songs. And I'm really excited to listen to more Sting. I'm really excited for Volume 2. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's songs that are like that out there, but I feel like they're still few and far between. For my taste. Okay. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't a complete, like, Coldplay, where, like, all the songs I thought were like, really good, now I'm going to go listen to Rush of Blood of the Head, which I did. Yeah. And I I enjoyed it. Yeah, Um, it's a good album. But I don't know if I'm at there with Sting yet. Okay. But I'm I'm still excited for Volume 2, so. Yeah, oh yeah, it'll definitely come. And we're also going to return to The Police at some point as well. Okay. Because there's, they they made so much good music in just those five albums. Mm -hmm. But I respect his voice, I love his voice, I think he's a great singer. That's, in, that's my that's my biggest takeaway. He's a great songwriter. Yeah. yeah, but you can write good songs and have a bad voice. That's true. Yeah, his voice <laughs> is truly unique, and honestly, he's still got it. He doesn't sound like he's aged a day in his voice. That's good. 
he's, probably because he's, he's, he's he taking very good care he knows of it. What he's doing, yeah. He he's can, taking very he good care of it. it. But okay, your final thoughts. Um, I became a much bigger Sting fan. I just found that because I listened to Sting a lot, like when I was in high school and the beginning of college, and then hadn't really listened to him since then. Um, coming back to these songs and just being in a different phase of my life. These songs have just hit me in such a new way to where I'm seeing and hearing them for the first time in a, in a new way. And so a lot of these songs have risen in stature for me. And I got to dig deeper into a lot of Sting albums and songs I had never heard before. And so I've been building my, uh, my ammunition for our next episodes that we're going to do on him. So, yes, my love for Sting has gone up throughout this process which is always great for these episodes whenever mm -hmm. I can become a bigger fan so but I don't really have much to say outside of that okay so that's our episode thank you guys so much for sticking around with us um, be sure to go check out our YouTube cover of I Hung My Head and uh, be aware that next week we are not only going to have a song on YouTube but we will have a song only for our patrons so if you really want to hear that second song, which, which I, you do. I think you will, you do, especially those of you that are metalheads, because we're returning to heavy metal next mm -hmm. week, um, you're going to want to hear it, because I think they're two of the best songs that we've ever recorded. Mm -hmm. so, certainly two of the ones I'm the most proud of, because <laughs> it required an immense amount of... Mental prowess and physical exertion. Yeah, I literally, like destroyed my hands in the process of recording yeah there's songs. there's a giant blister on your it's not right I, don't hand. Even, I wouldn't even call it a blister anymore. it was a blister now it's a, now it's just shredded meat <laughs> yeah oh my goodness and from last week recording yeah so it still hasn't healed so anyway yeah lucas goes completely ham on both those songs definitely gonna want to check it out um i can't wait to hear but, what you put the guitars on yeah um yeah, and on our YouTube channel, if you're liking what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button. Make sure your notifications are on. They're going to come out the same time that our episodes do, which is... 9 a.m. every Monday. Central. Central time, as in Central United States. Yes. Because that's where we're from. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so check out both our new videos and our old videos, and our new episodes, and our old episodes. Yeah. Um, be sure to uh, check out in the description of the episode the Spotify link, so that way you can listen to all these songs as well as all the songs that have been on previous episodes. And then lastly, just whatever, uh, well actually second to lastly, check out Instagram and Facebook, and then uh, whatever platform you're listening to this episode on, hit the subscribe button there as well. Leave us a comment, leave us a review, and we will be back next time. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.